Welcome to episode 37 of the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today we're talking about YouTube with my guest, Vanessa Vargas Wilson. Best known as the Crafty Gemini, Vanessa has been posting weekly instructional videos on YouTube since 2009. She teaches viewers how to do everything from sewing and quilting to organic gardening and canning. The Crafty Gemini YouTube channel has 162,000 subscribers and over 15 million views. Vanessa Vargas Wilson, welcome. Hi, Abby. Hi. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for um, having me. Yeah. So let's go back to the beginning before your YouTube video empire began. Um, <laughs> you were born in New York, but I grew up in Florida with your mom and three sisters. And you describe yourself as a hyper child with lots of energy. So were you always interested in teaching or public speaking? You know, it's funny because it's like a weird thing. So my parents got divorced when I was um, really young. And when we moved, we moved from New York to Dominican Republic for a year. And I was like five years old and I wouldn't talk to anybody like until I was around five. It was just my mom and my sister. I would hide behind their legs and I was so shy, quiet. I wouldn't talk to anybody. And then when we moved to Miami, uh, I had a lisp and I think they put me like in a speech class or something. And I just remember having so much fun in that class with the teachers, so much fun activities. And I just like opened up. And from then on, it was like, if they needed a narrator for a school play, it was me <laughs> for every single thing. You know, I did like the, I have a dream Martin Luther King speech in the third grade. Like it was just me on a stage. And from then on, it was just, I love to talk and I love to be in front of people. Yeah. And you're so confident and natural. I well, feel thank like. you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's one of the things that's a pleasure about watching your, your videos is that you really instill confidence. Like we're never afraid that you're going to mess up or you're going to like <laughs> get nervous. Like you just feel so natural that it's like we can relax as, as people watch. Good, it. good. Because that's what I try to convey as far as the process and what it is that I'm teaching you. I feel like once I know how to do something, I'm confident in it. Even if I'm not super perfect or an expert or anything, if I've done something successfully once, I feel like now I can teach it to somebody. And so I try to kind of instill that in people like it's really not that serious just relax you know and I'll point out mistakes sometimes and say like if you make a mistake relax the project is still going to be functional you can still use it nobody's going to know you know um, and so I feel like I give that extra little push especially to beginners who are maybe a little bit intimidated by sewing or trying a new project and I feel like I try to give them that little encouragement, like, go ahead, give it a try. You'll see. It'll work out, you know? Yeah, because when you first began um, doing these YouTube videos, you weren't that experienced of a sewer yourself. Like you no. have said, like you weren't that far from being a beginner yourself. That's so you right. have this approach that is really clear and simple and you don't assume that the viewer, you know, knows a lot of sewing terminology. You kind of repeat things and show things in different ways and make it really straightforward. That's exactly what I try to do. So I'm glad you picked up on all that. Absolutely. When I started in 2009, I had started sewing a couple years before that. And while I was in law school, I was looking for a creative outlet and, um, I, I mean, I've done crafts and all kind of things my whole life. And so my mom, when she came to this country in the 60s, she worked in the garment industry in New York City and she was a teenager. So she worked with a lot of older ladies. And so she learned how to use so many different kinds of industrial sewing machines and they would get paid by the piece, you know, so she was super fast and she would often sew her fingers under the sewing machine. 
So she was traumatized, and that's why she refused to teach me and my sisters. Um, you know, I, I asked her since I was like eight years old. Every couple of years, I'd ask again. She'd say, no, you're not old enough. No, you're not old enough. So finally, I'm like 22 years old in law school, and I'm like, I think I can keep my fingers away from the needle. Okay? Teach me. <laughs> uh-huh. And so, right. So, so let's go back a little bit to your education. So you have an undergraduate degree in anthropology. That's right. Um, and then you went on to law school, as you mentioned, and mm-hmm. asked your mom to teach you to sew. And so beyond sort of just curiosity, was there something about being in law school that made you feel like, geez, now I really <sighs> want to learn to sew? Yeah. You know, I was really depressed. I never wanted to be an attorney, but I, like you said, I have a bachelor's in anthropology and it was like, what am I going to do with that? You know, be an archeo I mean, I did an archeology span field school, but it was like, where am I going to go with this? So I figured, you know, I have to go to grad school and it was between an MBA and law school. And I don't even know how I decided. Maybe I flipped the coin or something it was like, well, in my head, law school sounded like it had more pull. And I thought maybe it'll I don't know what I want to do, but I think it'll give me more opportunities, you know, like I'll be able to figure something out going this route. And um, so that's what I did. And I hated every second of it. Um, every day I would tell my friends, like, today's my last day. Today's my last day, you know. Um, but, but you finished. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I can't quit something once I start it, you know. Um, yeah, and so you're... I did, but I was I needed something else. Like, you know, you go through all, I mean, law school is just whatever, but you have to go through all the stuff you're going through, like what the professors are telling you to read. And it's all about you finding precedent and quoting people that have more authority than you to, to promote or push your argument. Right. And so I was like waiting, like, where is it in this entire curriculum that I'm going to be able to like, say what I think, what I have experienced in three and a half years as an immigration paralegal, you know what I mean? Like when can I talk? And so it came down to like the last year we had to write a 30 page paper and I'm like, great, I'm going to write it on what I know, what I've experienced in three and a half years, being a, the only paralegal that spoke Spanish in an immigration law firm. And so after, you know, while I'm working on this project, my professor's like, no, you have to quote this from somebody else. So like all the things that I had experienced that I wanted to say from my perspective, I had to find somebody who had more authority than me and quote them. So like in 30 pages, there was a total of 11 original sentences there. The rest was footnotes. It was like crazy. I'm like, when can I talk? <laughs> so, I mean, that's why I picked up sewing. I, I just, you know, I, I always have been creating and making things. And this to me was the ultimate. It's like, you can take a super fluid fiber. I mean, fabric, you can make anything, anything you want with it. And then it's functional. You can wear it. It can keep you warm. You can use it to carry. I mean, just to me, it was like crazy. Like this medium, I can make absolutely anything I want and I can create it myself. You know, any idea I have in my head, I can make it out of fabric. And so that to me was super like freeing, you know, creatively. And my friends laugh at me because I would sometimes skip out of class like a few minutes early. Like I'd sit in the back and just like slide out five minutes early so I can make it to a quilting class. (laughs) And they're like, only you would run out of a class to go take a quilting class. (laughs) So, yeah, so it's, it was serving this, this emotional need um, yeah, yeah, of self-expression and um, empowerment. And I can totally see that. Um, I think it served that same need for me in a different phase of life, but mm-hmm. I think it serves that need for a lot of people. So, so you started sewing, you graduated from law school, started sewing, and then showing what you had made to friends. And That's right. those friends asked you to make things for them. That's right. And you felt like <laughs> instead of making things for them, I'd rather teach them Absolutely. to make things for themselves. So you looked into starting a sewing school. That's right. But the overhead was just expensive. 
expensive and yep. it's, it seemed difficult to do. So you started making instructional videos mm-hmm. so you could point your friends to the video instead of having to constantly That's show right. them over and over again. So tell me about the first video. <laughs> so the first video. So the way we got to that was that, you know, I started, like you said, um, making stuff. Then I got tired of making the same product every time. And then I would start teaching some small classes. I taught like community education at a community college. And then everybody just wanted the same class taught over and over again. So I told my husband, like, I'm over it. And he's the one that said and suggested, well, why don't we just film it and you put it on YouTube that way it's there forever. And you only ever have to make the project one time. So I'm like, you're a genius. Let's do it. So the first video was just me and I figured, you know, I'd start with the beginning, the basics of how to work with a sewing machine. And if I go back and watch that video now, I'm like, why is this still here? <laughs> it's terrible. But it, I mean, it's still, people still watch it. I mean, the, the content is still valid, you know, and I think, um, I was, it, it was easy. I just sat there and I was just like, this is a sewing machine. You know, when it's something that you do every day or you just enjoy and it comes natural to you, I think it's not that difficult. Like I don't need to have a script to do any of my videos. I never have cue cards. I just get in front of the camera and just start ad-libbing everything, every tutorial, everything that I do. Um, and we just sat there and went through it, you know, like the parts of a sewing machine, how you thread it, how to wind the bobbin and, um, the basic materials that I suggested for beginners to get. Uh huh. So you really started in the beginning. You know, yep. you started with how to use a sewing machine, which is that's a great start. That's so, right. so you put the camera in your jog bra. Well, this at, at this point, for the first couple of videos, it was my handy little husband holding a regular like point and shoot digital camera that we had. And so after when it got into like that one was easy. You know, it was me sitting at a table pointing out the sewing machine. Fine, he could do that. But when it got to like tutorials where I needed like overhead shots and I'm telling him stand right here while I point to this. This is where you need to film. Oh, girl, by the time I went to edit it, it was like his knees, his toes in the picture. And I'm like, look, come look at this footage. I'm like, if I'm pointing at an applique piece here, why in the world is the camera over there? You know, (laughs) so very quickly I fired him. And that's where, you know, we just had a baby and we didn't have any money. He was the only one working. So I bought uh, a little tripod that cost two ninety nine dollars on Amazon, I think, or eBay. And it would just screw to the bottom of any little point and shoot camera. And so the legs of it, though, were flexible. So I would tuck it into my sports bra and then f- bend it since the legs were bendable, like bend the camera forward. So like the shot was coming out right in between my arms. And then I could have like if I just kept my chest pretty straight, I was able to like barely, you know, move my hand side to side and kind of fold the fabric and show them what we had to do. Like, you're going to fold this here, stitch this in place. And that way I was getting that overhead shot that I wanted without a big tripod or without anybody else doing it. And I then love that. I love, <laughs> so like, I, here's what I love about it. The technical aspect of doing this didn't get in your way. In other words, it didn't have to be perfect. I mean, look, putting a tripod in your sports bra is not going to make a perfect shot, but Uh it did get the job done and you were able to keep making what you felt compelled to make instead Mm -hmm. of sort of waiting until you had enough money to get the right equipment or had a professional camera crew to shoot you or whatever it was. You just felt compelled to make it and you made it. That's my thing. I have to, like, I grew up like that. You know, my mom was super resourceful. We had to make do with what we had. And, and to me, it's like a challenge, you know? It's like, well, how can, how can I make this work? And so an easy way out would have been the little tripod was still high enough. It was a couple inches up, but I could have just planted it in front of myself and talked into the camera like a lot of people do or like you see even on the professional shows on TV. But to me, I never understood why for a how-to instructional video, people would film you from the front. I'm like, it's not about me. 
It's about what I'm making. I want people to be able to see it from the same angle that they would be looking at it so they can literally pause the video, complete that step, play, watch it, pause it, complete it. And I want to walk them through the whole thing from the same angle that I'm looking at. When you're looking at them from the front, it's in reverse, you know? So I'm like, how, how, if it's an instructional video, why are they teaching it in reverse? That always bothered me when I would watch stuff on TV. I'm like, you're not showing me anything. All I'm seeing is the host. <laughs> right, 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 right. That's a good point. So, um, so it's interesting that you say that it's not about you because, um, so I read, uh, in a, in a interview that I read about mm-hmm. you and, um, talking about sort of getting started with this, um, and branching out from sewing because you did start with sewing and mm-hmm. your videos were really sewing focused, but mm-hmm. you did branch out later into mm-hmm. other things that we talked about, like canning and organic gardening and other kinds of crafts, woodworking and all kinds of different things. And you do haul videos where you mm-hmm. show what you got when you yeah. went shopping and that kind of thing. So, um, and I read that your husband said to you, it's not your tutorials, yeah. it's you that they love. Exactly. So do you feel like that's true? Even though it's not about watching the hostess, mm-hmm. it's about watching their hands and the project being created. But I feel like there is something there about yeah. it's you that they love. So I've finally been coming to grips with that. I'm like, yeah, I think he's right. <laughs> you know, back in the days he told me like, I make something really quick. And he'd say, well, why don't you do a tutorial on that? I'm like, because there's a thousand tutorials for that. Nobody cares about that. And he's like, they don't care what you make. They want to see you do it, you know? And over the years, I get more and more emails from people. I mean, some of my followers will send me links to other people's tutorials. And it's like, I have no idea how to make this. Can you do a video on it? Because I know if you make it, I'll be able to do it. So things like that, you know, are kind of like, okay, yeah, maybe it is me. I mean, I know that my, I've always credited like my style of instruction with how popular my, my videos have gotten because I try, like you said earlier, I try not to assume that the viewer knows anything. I really pride myself on breaking everything down and telling you the why you're doing this, not just like do this. Um, and trying to break everything down for people so that they're learning, not just to complete that one project, but to take whatever they learned from this one and carry it over to other projects that maybe they want to come up with themselves, design themselves, or use the same tips and tricks that I teach them in other people's projects. Like, oh, I think this might work better here. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's getting to be more and more like the more personable I get in videos. Like I did a whole weight loss Wednesday series because I lost a ton of weight and people kept asking me about that. And I'm like, are these people really want me to just get on camera and tell them what I eat, you know? And sure enough, they do. So that's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you did, you lost a tremendous amount of weight to the point that it was really clear from yeah. watching you mm-hmm. that you were getting smaller. <laughs> My chubby um, old face was just slipping. Right, exactly. And that is something that people are desperate to know. Well, how did she do it? Um, And so you turn that into part of your videos, part of what you're showing people. Um, The whole thing has kind of turned into like this whole, just like my brand, like Crafty Gemini is now like a lifestyle brand. It's just me and everything that I do in it. A long time ago, we kind of wrestled with the idea of staying just sewing and quilting or starting to incorporate other things. But even if I would just share a picture of the garden or something that I did with the kids or new ducks that we got, everybody was just asking, like, can you do a video? Can you do a video? So my husband's like, well, just forget about it. You know, we'll, we'll not try to keep it like in a super small niche. Just do all the videos that you do and just have it be you, you know, whatever I do is going to get thrown in there. If you only want to watch my quilting stuff, then just watch those, but I'm going to give you everything I got, you know, and you have a lot. So it's not just weight loss Wednesday. You also Mm -hmm. live on a five acre organic 
um, little homestead, homestead in yeah. Florida, <laughs> and you have animals, you homeschool mm-hmm. your children. So yep. just describe for us a little bit about like your lifestyle and, and, you know, sort of what your day to day is like. Yeah. So it's a little bit crazy. Um, <laughs> We, we are part of little groups and like homeschooling groups and things like that because we live out. I mean, I love where we live. We don't live that far out of town, like 20 minutes. Um, and so we are able to get together with a bunch of other moms and kids and do field trips. And about once a month or so, we have like little farm play dates where the other kids come over here. My kids will kind of show them around the farm and teach them the difference between a hen and a rooster and which ones are what, you know, send them around collecting eggs. And so we try to do all that kind of fun stuff, building things out here. And, you know, like I said, I grew up in Miami and my husband's from New Orleans. So we are not really like farm people. But um, when my son was eight months old, we went out to visit my husband's family. Part of his family lives like in the middle of absolutely nowhere, Mississippi. And I remember just laying down a quilt and having my son, he was like eight months old at the time, and just putting him on the quilt. And there were like hawks flying above, and it was just so quiet. And I was like, you know what? I think I like this. I think I want this kind of life for my kids. (laughs) So we're like, let's find some land, you know? And so we've just been learning little by little, and everything that we learn out here, we get it from other local farmers, organic growers. We're really lucky to live in an area that's like really progressive and really big on the whole farm-to-table, farmer's market, locally grown kind of uh, environment, you know? And so we have tons of people with, I mean, decades and decades of experience. And so we go to those type of meetings, and, and we're part of a seed library where we get seeds each season that are specific, uh, specifically uh, grown and saved to, to grow and do well in this area, you know. And so we're just learning little by little and just trying to live a little bit more self-sustainable life and um, more natural, you know, more wholesome type of <laughs> taking it back to a more simple lifestyle for my kids. That's awesome. Um, and I think that that also is really entrancing to a lot of people. Um, you know, so I can see why, you know, a lifestyle brand and videos about what you're doing are fascinating. Um, yeah. they certainly are for me. So, mm-hmm. um, all right. So your career in 2011 had a pretty major turning point. You won the YouTube next up contest and, mm-hmm. The prize was some special training and networking provided by YouTube, as well as $35,000 in cash. Mm-hmm. And you entered the contest at the last minute. So, and I watched your, your entry video um, <laughs> and I was like in tears. It was so great. But oh, anyway, you're so sweet. <laughs> what, so what made you decide, like you entered really at the last minute, right? So what was, yeah. what made you decide to just go for it? That you saw this so, contest and you were like, mm-hmm. I can do this. Yeah. So one thing, like I used YouTube as a platform, right? And I was uploading videos, but I never used YouTube. It was just what was free at the time, right? That we could afford for me to put videos up on. But I had no idea really how like the platform worked, you know? So for the first couple of years, I didn't really use YouTube. You know, now I subscribe to a bunch of channels and I'm kind of involved and, you know, you comment on people's videos and stuff. But before I never did that. It was just, I would put my videos up there and that's it. I didn't look for anybody else's. And so... After my videos, so I had no idea like that you can monetize these videos. I didn't know about the YouTube partner pro. I didn't know anything. Like I said, it was just, I put videos up there and that's it for fun. Um, and then like after my videos would get a certain amount of views, YouTube would send me an email like, Hey, this video has 50,000 views. You can monetize it. So I'd be like, okay, great. Monetize it, you know? And so I thought you had to wait till each one of your videos got to a certain point and they'd contact you. And then one day, like one of the first days of where I'm actually like searching for something on YouTube, I see a video 
and it only has eight views and the girl has an ad on it. And I'm like, how in the world did she get an ad to run on a video with only eight views? So then I got into my research mode and started typing in like ads on YouTube, whatever, and Google. And I found out about the partner program. And so I was like, oh, man, I wish somebody told me this two years ago. You know, I'd been putting videos up for two years and I didn't see a dime, really, you know. And so I put in for it. Of course, by then I had so many thousands of views. It was less than 24 hours. They approved me. And you had to be a partner to apply to that YouTube Next Up competition. So I had just become a partner a couple weeks before, maybe, you know? And so when I was on YouTube, you know, on the side where it pops up those related videos that you can click on? Yeah. So it popped up there. It was like contest or so. I don't even know how I saw it. And I'm like, what is this? So I clicked on it. And as soon as the video starts playing and they're like, hey, we're searching for 25 YouTubers up and coming with the potential to be the next big thing, like all this. And I'm like, oh my God, this is me. I need this. This is for me. And so I'm watching the whole thing and I'm like, please tell me I haven't missed the deadline. (laughs) So when I went to the link that they included, I went and it was like four days left. And so at this point, mind you, we were still using that point and shoot digital camera. And like two weeks before my husband sold his car, we were getting some money together to buy like the, the homestead that we were trying to get, you know? And so he's like, well, I'm going to give you about a thousand dollars for you to get some better, a better camera. And so I had just got the camera that week. So I had to learn a new camera and I had to buy editing software to edit the, the footage from that specific camera. Cause you know, different ones give it to you in different formats. So I bought an editing software. So like in those four days, I learned a new camera, a new editing <laughs> software. And I spent just four days. I told my husband, like, here's the kid. I was pregnant with my daughter and my son was, uh, a little under two years, like two years old. And so I'm like, here's the kid. I'm sorry, but for the next four days, it's me. <laughs> this software and a million takes of this audition video. But I, I, I'm like, if I can get in on time because it wasn't based just on votes, you know? So I'm like, it's like a team of YouTube people getting together. So I told my husband, I'm like, if I can get this video in, I'm going to win. I'm going to win. I'm like, they made this contest for me. (laughs) (laughs) And it shows so much. I mean, I feel like in your, in your entry video, you're just like, I need this. Oh yeah. And I'm right for this. And you're perfect for it. And it's funny because when, you know, then they were playing all these games with you, like, oh, we need to ask you a few more questions. So can you do a live Skype session, whatever? And I told my husband, I'm like, I'm not stupid. They just want to see my reaction on camera when they tell me I won. (laughs) And sure enough, so I sent him outside with the kid. And so they're talking to me and they're just like, congratulations, girl. I went crazy. I'm like running outside to the street. Like, I won. I'm rich. I'm rich. (laughs) It was so much fun. But then they told me they were like that when they were in the room watching my audition video that everybody was just like, oh, my goodness, like this girl has, you know, like for sure she's one of them, you know? So I felt so great about that. That's amazing. (laughs) So, okay. So, so you got, um, you know, some inside training from YouTube to sort of improve your channel and, um, improve your camera on camera presence and all those good things. And you bought a 360 degree rotating tripod with the winnings. Everything. Um, And so have you heard of B and H audio? It's like this huge electronic store in New York. Okay. So we got a tour, like a guided tour where they walked us through like, what type of videos do you do? Okay. This would be good for you. And so we had a gift card to that, their store too, just for audio and visual stuff. So I got like light box equipment. I mean, just everything. I got a brand new computer, like an iMac with editing soft, like the whole thing. It was crazy. Wow. Okay. So no more sports bra. So yeah, no girl, no way. I bought, like, I spent like $180 on a tripod. I was like, Oh, that one, I'll take it. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so, um, so what other effects, I mean, sort of after the craziness and excitement and, you know, picking out the new equipment and exactly. So you come home, it's over. So what other effect did you feel like it had on you? Like sort of going forward after that? 
I think I felt, I mean, a little bit of two different things. One of them was since they chose 25 people, I think off the list of 25, I was maybe the second from the bottom up with the least amount of subscribers. So there were people there that had already been on the Conan O'Brien show and they had all these, all these views and subscribers. So they were like big timers, you know? And so I was just like, well, I'm just starting off at the bottom. I'm just growing. But, uh, so I felt kind of a little bit out of place when I was there, but I was like, I know that I can really make something big out of this channel. So I was trying to soak up all the information that they were giving us. Cause I mean, they were telling us how to, we met with big time YouTubers like Michelle Fawn, Gary Vaynerchuk and stuff talked to us and told us like, you need to get a mobile app. Like this is how you build community on YouTube. And then we had people, YouTube techie people that were telling us like what feeds the YouTube algorithm and how to properly title your vid. I mean, it's just so much information that it was a whole nother world for me. Cause remember I had just been uploading videos for two years just to post them, <laughs> not for nothing. You know, I didn't really know much. And so it's almost one- like, I, I feel like it was almost like graduate school again. Was- for, oh gosh, I was like, what is all this but stuff? But like the right graduate school for you. Yes, the one that I was actually interested <laughs> right, in. Right, right. <laughs> and so on the one end, it was that it was like, whoa, there's so much out here, you know, but at the same time, it was like, my content is, is great. You know, it's evergreen, especially because it's not like a random little viral spoof on a new movie that came out that two months is not, in two months is going to be old already, you know, F- 10 years from now, you can go back and how to use a sewing machine and my video is still going to be there. So, um, and it's still going to be relevant for the most part, but on the other hand, I felt like, okay, so when we were at this thing, it was called creative camp, um, creators camp, sorry. And there was a ton of media coverage around it because this was the first time that YouTube was like giving random individuals all this money to put into them, like as grant money to grow your business. Right. And so the New York times featured me, like they featured the whole creators camp thing. But like the picture that went with the article was mine, you know, and like a New York Times reporter called me. So it's like this whole thing of like my story of like this pregnant mom with a law degree who turned her dining room into this filming studio and is making a career off of YouTube that really like resonated with people and like that the everyday mom at home can relate to type of thing. And so then they asked me to be on 2020. Like when I was up there, they're like, hey, they want to put you on 2020. I'm like, okay. I'll do it. You know? So they send a driver to pick me up at the hotel and I went and I was on 2020. And so when I got home, it was like all this media coverage and from the New York times article that had run, um, people were contacting me, companies, people, like it was just getting crazy, you know? And so, and the ABC, the 2020 episode hadn't aired yet. It was going to air later that summer, later the fall or whatever. And we guy kind of just came home and was like, oh, we totally need to just like kick this into overdrive. Like that's the seed money that I needed to do everything that I wanted to do um, with the whole like buying our farm, our homestead, getting my own studio, getting all whatever equipment I needed to do and really um, kicking it into full gear, you know? Right. Yeah, totally. That's amazing. What an amazing story. And there's another, you want to hear the craziest part of this whole thing? Yes. <laughs> that when that 2020 episode aired, ask me where I was. In the hospital. 10 centimeters dilated, Amazing. giving birth to my daughter. I'm like looking at the screen, breathing, looking at the screen, oh breathing. Gosh. And she was born an hour after the show aired. Okay. Oh and, the nurses, and so we're telling the nurse, I was like, oh, you guys can come in. I'm going to be on TV at 10. You know? <laughs> they were like, no, you're not. And I'm like, I totally am. So like the room is full of nurses and they're looking at the TV and looking at me like that is totally you right there. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm about to have a baby. That is amazing. It was insane. And okay? you know, in some ways... <laughs> 
that's what it's like to be a woman and it be is. in business. I mean, what, what do you, what can you do? That's you know? it, right? Like you're the one who's going to give birth <laughs> and you're also the one who's going to give birth to this business and you're going to do both at the exact same moment. And smile. And the smile whole time. the whole time. <laughs> that's a fantastic story. I love that. I just oh, love that Oh yeah. It was uh, Totally. So, so let's talk a little bit about being Latina. So you, uh, your family's originally from the Dominican Republic. And as you mentioned, you went back and lived there for a year as a child. And I know you go back and visit sometimes in the summers with your kids and you speak Spanish as well as English. You, I think you're bi- fluently bilingual. Um, and so tell me a little bit about, I feel like I feel like it's not all that common in kind of mainstream sewing blogs for there to be Latinas. Like, I just don't feel like it's that common. Then again, I myself am not Latina and I don't maybe, maybe I'm not clued into it. Like maybe there is a whole, you know, segment of sewing blogs that I'm just not seeing because I'm not looking for them. So I guess, what is it like? You sort of cross over, I feel like. So so tell me a little bit about kind of that scene. So I don't think there's a scene. Okay, I mean, I, I don't scene. know of it. I know that there's like, um, so like this whole, there's a lot of like Latina blogger communities online. Okay. And so it's, I mean, there'll be like the Latina mom blogger type network, Latina crafters, you know, in general. And so it's kind of like where Crafty Chica comes in and a lot of these other Latinas that do a lot of paper crafts, scrapbooking and other type of like just general crafts. But I don't know really of any community that's just on sewing or quilting Latinas. That's interesting because I, I remember when you, you were at Quilt Market mm-hmm. um, just a, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And, um, and I think I asked you on Instagram, like, yeah. does anyone there speak Spanish? Yeah. And I felt like some of the people who responded sort of before you got <laughs> to it were like, yeah, people here speak Spanish. Like, yeah. why are you even asking that question? But I actually was honestly asking, like, are there people at Quilt Market who speak Spanish? Yeah, so there are a ton, especially for quilt marketing, quilt festival. People actually come from all over the world and a lot from uh, Central and South America, like the Argentinas, the Brazil. I mean, even though it's not Spanish, Portuguese, but still, you know, Latin Americans, um, uh, Chile, Argentina, Mexico, a lot of people. And so because it's that wholesale trade show, you know, you have a lot of shop owners that are coming to purchase fabric and stuff and bring stuff back from the U.S. to their stores because they can't get it. And so I do have a Spanish YouTube channel that I hope to one day get back into uploading more Spanish-based quilting videos. But it's just its so much to do two videos. I've tried a bunch of different ways, like voicing over the already edited English version. But the thing is that what I can say in a phrase in English might take me two sentences in Spanish. So if it's fully edited already, you know, like the timing, it's already moved on to the next clip where you're still trying to explain the one before it. So I just need to find, you know, when I have more time or I can hire some help or something like that, then I'll get more into it. But based on that, there is a massive, massive Latin sewing and quilting community out there in the world. Okay. Huge. So- and there's nobody putting the content out there for right. it. You know? Right. Right. There's it's a huge, huge, that's a huge hole and that's a huge opportunity and not just for you. I mean, there's space there for a lot more to be yeah. done. It sounds mm-hmm. like because Absolutely. there's an audience for it. Oh, definitely. And it's just, I mean, isn't, it's La- not done yet. I think Latin people in general, just like the cultures, you know, I mean, you everybody like, especially in Central America, you have a lot of these indigenous cultures that have a lot of their own very unique artists and crafts and things. And so I feel like it's just a lot of it is in the culture that we do a lot of handmade stuff. Mm-hmm. So with 
patchwork and quilting coming from here now with like a rotary cutter where people don't have to use scissors anymore. They're just like, what are these Americans doing? Where can I get these things? And I have people email me all the time. Like my cousin is going to Orlando. Where can she buy, you know, the rotary cutting mat, the, this, the, that, the materials that I need to make your projects and things. Wow. So even getting the supplies, the supplies, they don't have access to, I mean, some people do obviously the people that, um, show up at quilt market and are buying those things for their shops, but it's not like widespread. It's not like they have a Joann's or something that they can just go to, you know? Right. right. It'll be interesting to see over the next 10, 15 years how that shifts because I feel like it's coming. Yeah. It's coming and, you know, people always looking for an untapped market and that's one for sure. Huge, huge, huge. Yeah. Yeah. And I I know quilting teachers actually that travel here around the country Yeah, and they have people from South America always asking them, like, do you know anybody that can come down here to teach? But they don't speak their language. So they're like, no, you know, we we could teach it, but in English, you know? Right, right. No, we need, we need more bilingual or, you know, Spanish speaking, um, quilting teachers, sewing teachers, sewing suppliers. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so you have a class on Craftsy called So Little Nursery Design. And I'm just wondering how that opportunity came about. Did that come about because Craftsy saw your YouTube channel? No, I actually reached out to them way before they were Craftsy, when they were just Simpose, okay. the parent company of right. Craftsy. They were, I came up, I'm always doing research, trying to find like other platforms to use, you know? And so I had seen this thing coming up. It was kind of new. They were just kickstarting it and they were trying to uh, kind of revolutionize the world of online education via video. And so they were teaching at the time classes that were like how to manage your money and, you know, like all kind of random classes, but they were nothing with crafts and sewing and stuff. And so I reached out to them and sent them my stats and sent them a sample videos and stuff like that of what I did. And that's how we started. Got it. So you went out to Denver, I'm assuming mm-hmm. to shoot yeah. the, um, to shoot the the class. And yeah. so, so was that one of the first times that you were in kind of a, you know, really pro video studio? Um, yeah, I think so. Okay. I so, mean, as far as now. Yeah. Yeah. So what, mm-hmm. What what was that like for you? Like how how was it different? What did you learn from from being there and sort of watching how they do it? Um, that they have a lot of money and a lot of technology that I wish I had in my studio. <laughs> <laughs> it's so easy for me. Whenever I walk into a professional studio, it's cake because I can just focus on what I do, you know, my superpower teaching, you know, I don't have to worry about the lighting. I don't have to worry about the camera. I don't have to worry about the shot. It's heaven for me. I'm like, wow, can I take this team home with me? Right. You know, because here I do every single thing by myself. And so it's whenever I walk into the shows, they're like, oh, do you need to do a run through? And I'm like, nope. <laughs> need to do nothing i'm like i made the project i have the step outs i know what i'm doing you're totally confident because you i'm done, like pat me down and i'm yeah good to, yeah you've done some other like what other um sort i've of done shows um have you done it's so easy it's a pbs show and i've done a, two episodes of sew it all i did two episodes of it's so easy and two episodes of sew it all and i actually just got back from chicago i filmed three episodes of quilty with mary fawns nice yeah yeah, and so in all of those experiences, you sort of felt the same way. Like, yeah. if only I could walk in oh. and do it this way every day. I mean, they have one guy whose job is to make sure there are no shadows on, like, where it's going to be filmed and what you're teaching. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, can I take you home, please? I feel yeah, like <laughs> you need to get in with sewing with Nancy. Like, you need to just be the new Nancy. I mean, am I right? Like, yeah. that's her gig. Yeah. You know, Nancy Zeman, she's a hero. Yeah. I think she's awesome. But totally, right? Like she's she's got the crew. Yeah. You know? 
If I had a crew, man. You need a crew. <laughs> I do. <laughs> so, um, all right. So your your income now as a business person is coming from a combination of things. It's coming yeah. from the ad revenue from these monetized YouTube videos. It's coming from selling your own PDF patterns from your right. own site. Um, it's coming from these online classes that you teach. And then you do some like corporate sponsorship. So like, you know, different corporations provide you with things that you then shoot a video about. Is that right? Am I right in describing right. all the different sources? That's right. I, I have a few more. I have to have multiple revenue streams. Absolutely. Otherwise I wouldn't have time. What to, I, you know. So what am I missing? <laughs> so the ad revenue on the blog, on the blog as well. Okay. And then, um, all the different affiliate links. Okay. Right. You affiliate, affiliate accounts that I submit to. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, and yeah. those are linked also within the videos too. Yes. In the video description box and in blog posts and social media posts. Uh huh. Okay. All right. So which of the sources, I mean, I agree with you that the, the way to make this work is to have a lot of sources of income, including passive income that just, yeah, because comes it in. all comes and goes. And so one example is this whole YouTube ad thing, right? Back in the days when I started to monetize my ads, you can make pretty decent money because you had to be a YouTube partner in order to monetize your videos. So it was more selective then because there weren't that many partners, right? Well, now anybody can create a new YouTube account and monetize the video right off the bat without having a specific amount of views or anything. And so it's so saturated that like I was just comparing the numbers and like last year at the, and like now I have twice as many subscribers as I had last year and I'm making the same money. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Right. So it's not, I mean, and it comes and goes and like YouTube, you have no control over the ads on YouTube. So you are just getting your cut and that's it. So during between October and January, the highest paying months for ads on YouTube. So you'll see a bump during those months, but the rest of the year, I mean, I can have twice as many subscribers and still make the same as I was making before. Right. You, so know? You, you, just, you can't bank on that. You can't, right. yeah. you can't bank on any single thing. On, so, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like the ad revenue is not the biggest source. So what is the biggest source of income? Like where does the, where's the bread <clears> and butter? Um, I'd say it's maybe a split between my online classes, PDF. Well, no, not anymore. I think the biggest one is probably going to be the sponsorships, the corporate sponsorships yeah. as of right now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's shifted. It sounds like it's shifted around a bunch of times. Between. Yeah, it has it before. I mean, I used to make three times as much off my PDFs than I did even on YouTube. Uh huh. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I think that the lesson there though is diversify. You have and, to, and you got to play around, you know, you got to take risks, put something out there, didn't work, try a different route, contact somebody, you know, <laughs> I just, I'm constantly shuffling. <laughs> totally. So what advice would you give somebody who is thinking about, you know, getting started with YouTube, making some instructional videos, sort of what do you see people doing wrong or sort of not doing that they should be doing? What do you think would be some good advice for, for someone just starting now? For instructional videos, I would say to have the same mindset that I had before. Like when I told you that it's not about me, it's about the instructional video. If you don't have a large following already that loves you and your content, I think it's important to put out quality content where you take the back seat and have it be that people are just finding your stuff and that it's so great that they are sharing it all over the place because YouTube is the second largest search engine after Google. So when it comes to any type of a tutorial or a how-to or something that people want to visual on, that's where they're going to YouTube, not Google, you know? So you have a lot more chance of getting your video higher up on YouTube than you would like just off a a basic Google search without all the SEO, you know? Um, 
And so if I think if the quality of the content is there, like just focus on making great quality content. I know a few different people that are really successful on YouTube with tutorials and they, they have a different uh, setup than I do. Like one lady doesn't show her face ever. She's like, it's just about me and my hands and my crochet work. So I'm like, I can't do that. You know, like my face, at least for the intro and the outro, they need to see my face because they like me, you know, they just, but for hers, it's just like, I guess she thinks people are just going to her site, um, just to learn how to do the the technique and they don't really care, you know, who's, who's teaching it. Um, so it just depends. I mean, if you're not comfortable in front of the camera, that may be something that works for you to do it that way. But I feel like number one has to be the content, the quality of the content and not so much the quality of the video or the audio. Because on YouTube, it kind of was based on, right, people with their phones just shooting home videos. And so I feel like even nowadays where you have more and more YouTubers going the professional route and kind of doing more HD videos and things like that, even if it's just you with an iPhone, which probably, you know, they they still do HD videos, uh, if the quality of the content is on point, then, you know, the lighting is a little off or the audio sounds a little bit grainy or whatever, you know, you can still get away with it if the quality of the content is good. Yeah. And you know, what's funny about that is I feel like that's the same thing about a blog post. Yeah. (laughs) Like a few people often say like, what's the trick to getting people to comment on my blog or share my blog post or follow my blog. And really there is no trick. The trick is that the quality of the content of the post is the most important thing. And yeah, it's great if, you know, the, the layout of the blog is easy to follow or it's, you know, pretty or, you know, all of those things, the font is easy to read and all that stuff is great. But if the quality of the post is a good quality post, it will attract, it has much higher, uh, you know, uh, chances of attracting attention. Like your blog is ridiculous. Okay. (laughs) I read every single one of your posts, every single one of your newsletter. And I just sit here and I'm like, how did I click on every single one of these links that she suggested? (laughs) So it's funny when I talk to somebody, like even locally at a guild meeting or something, I'm like, oh my God, you have to sign up for this. They're like, oh my God, Abby, I love her. You know, it's like, that's so, listen, you, I think have gotten like the, this awesome balance of like a creative person, but the whole business side of it. And so even me that I do this as a business, I'm constantly learning things. Cause remember, I didn't come into this with a business degree. You know, we're just like moms at home that right. happen to be creative, you know, and are now turning this into something else. So I'm kind of learning as I go and I get so much from all your posts, Abby. So oh, thank, thank you so much. Thank you. That's really seriously. Nice it's because it's hard to find that, you know, even me as a creative person, I'm like the whole business side of it. I'm like, ah, oh, it bores me. Like that's not for me. Right. So little by little, you know, we're working to earn more money so I can hire out the things that I don't like to do Right. because by the end of the day, you know, after you're done with marketing and putting out all these posts and answering emails and reaching out to sponsors, I go to my studio to supposedly come up with a new project and I'm like, I'm burnt. I'm tired. Yeah. And by then it's nighttime and the kids are in bed. Oh yeah. And I'm like, no, I need to take a hot shower and pass out. (laughs) I'm like, next time guys. Sorry. I can totally relate to that feeling. You're just like the whole day you're waiting, 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 waiting. Like I'm going to get in there. Uh I'm going to do something. I'm going to make something. And then it's 845 and you're like, oh, I'm just going to bed. You know, I'm over it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Well, yeah. I hope you get to hire somebody soon to help out with some of the the stuff that's sort of less exciting and, and that not you don't, it can't just be done by you. Somebody else yeah. could do some of it. So, mm-hmm. um, all right, let's jump into some of your recommendations. You, um, wanted to recommend arm knitting and I've seen a couple of videos of arm knitting and it is really cool. I know creative bug is working on a video of arm okay. knitting coming up. So tell us a little bit about it. 
It's super easy. It's super fun. I mean, it's hard sometimes. Like when I first got into it, I think it was like a year or two ago, and I saw a tutorial. I was like, um, I have no idea how to do it because again, they were showing me in the reverse, you know. <laughs> and when it has to do with your arm going through things and back things, you can't see that stuff in reverse. It's not going to work, you know. Um, you need to show it from the same angle that I'd be doing it from, so I can do it along with you. But once you get it. It's so easy. I mean, you could just sit there with your arms doing anything, like watching TV. I sit there and like the kids are having dance time and they're just like dancing and I'm like, woohoo, dance. And I'm just like, let me make another scarf. <laughs> um, but it's really simple. I, I, I think for people that maybe are intimidated by knitting or crocheting, just the idea that you can take your own hands, you know, that you're in control of, I think it makes it a little bit more doable maybe. And there's no perfect gauge. Like it doesn't have to be super perfect or nothing and you'll still end up with a finished scarf, you know? So it's something that I definitely, I might do a tutorial on it. Who yeah. knows? And if you, if but again, there's so many of them, but I still think I'm like, I tell my husband, I'm like, if I make it, people are going to love it because I will do it the crafty Gemini way. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> so, so first of all, you'll attract a lot of attention if you do it in public because it's kind of dramatic looking, right? Uh-huh. Like you have yarn all the way up and down your arms. So that's yeah. kind of a fun thing. And also I feel like it, it goes fast, right? Like, cause it it's does. big. It does. Yeah, it is. You use the bulkiest yarn that you can get. And then the looser your stitches are, the quicker you'll finish too, you know? So it's, it's, it's really easy. And yeah. I think you need, um, of the really bulky yarn. It depends on the pattern because there's a lot of like funkier new ones that are coming out with different kind of patterns in the stitching. But, um, you can make one just with two big bulky skeins nice. of big bulky yarn. Yeah. And it's super soft, especially you get something with like wool or something like that in it and the yarn. Really toasty. Yeah. Yeah. For I, you up there freezing. I know. I bought an arm knitted um, scarf for oh, yeah? one of our good friends for Christmas last year, and she totally loves it and she yeah. wears it all the time. She's like, it's the coziest thing. It is. So. It is. It feels like somebody's hugging you the whole time. Yeah. You're like, yeah. Oh. I know. That's cool. Um, all right. And then you wanted to talk about um, something that you use for homeschooling, and I don't even know how you say it. It's Cousinaire. Cuisinaire rods. I'm kind of like new to the whole thing too, but it's this idea of, um, I'm like part of those different homeschool co-ops and things. And so whatever they recommend things, I'm constantly doing research online. But I think it's this idea of teaching, instead of like teaching kids like plus signs and minus and like teaching them all that stuff, they teach that way later on. And so the idea of using these Cuisinaire rods is to teach them math sense as opposed to just like the mathematical formulas and stuff that they need to learn. It's like this idea of how one thing relates to the other in number. So the rods are just, um, I got the little wooden ones and they're like the, the, the one, the one that represents the number one is a tiny little white block. Then what represents the number two is a block that's twice as big as that one, you know? And then the one that's the number three would be like the equivalent of three of the little ones. So you're teaching them the sense of how one relates to two relates to three, as opposed to like one plus one is two. Right. It's like this whole other kind of cool way to explore math and learn math concepts without having to be like, Adam. Right, right, right. Totally. And we did something similar and I don't remember what it was. It was kind of a funky math program when I was in second grade Uh and it was all really visual and it had to do with colors and different colors represented different math groups. And that was my favorite, like that was the year I loved math the most was the year that, yeah, my school adopted this like weird, funky, you know, math program. And I think we probably only did it that year, but it was, it was awesome for me. So I love math. I always have. My husband hates it. And so I'm like waiting to see what my kids, which one's going to be what. My parents were both um, drafters and my dad was an engineer. So 
math for me has always, I mean, it just comes like second nature. And I think that's why I like to quilt and do stuff with woodworking. Cause I'm like, to me, it's all the same thing. It's just a different medium that you're using, you know, mm-hmm. but it's all measuring. And that's so not my husband's thing. So I'm trying to, you know, incorporate whatever other random ways of doing math and teaching math sense that I can to these kids. Cause right. he's like, Oh, uh, uh-uh. uh, <laughs> he's like algebra one. I think I took it in college. I'm like, I took algebra one in the fourth grade. Like, come on guy. <laughs> what, what does your husband do? He's an academic advisor at a local college. Okay. He is just like the most nurturing. So he loves to help people. Uh (laughs) So like here on the farm, he says that I'm the butcher and he's the nurturer. (laughs) (laughs) Because he can't, I mean, he cannot hurt a soul, girl. Even if he's raising chickens to eat, he just treats them like they're his babies. I'm Uh like, oh, come on. How many chickens do you have? Like 30. Well, right now we have like 50 because we have 20 broilers that are meat birds. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And then we have like 28, uh, or 28 or 30 a uh, combination of roosters and egg laying hens. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. And do you actually do the, the slide yeah. and butchering I, yourself? Yeah. I butcher all the, like the birds, turkeys, ducks, and chickens I do. Uh-huh. Anything bigger than that, the pigs and stuff that we raise, we have a butchering service come okay. and they handle it. I don't do big stuff. I mean, <laughs> I did a 20, uh, it did like, it was like a 35 pound turkey last year and that's, that thing was huge. I was like, uh-uh. <laughs> After that, no. Yeah. No <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. just the birds, you know? So, so you have pig, how many pigs do you have? Well, a cup every year we raise one or two pigs. Okay. Yeah. So once they're butchered, you know, they're just, we don't have them for that whole time. Cause right. since we feed all um, organic, no soy, like non GMO certified feed, it's so expensive. And so to raise two pigs for about six months, it's um, I, for about $400 a month to feed wow. them. <laughs> wow. So yeah, it's not cheaper. Yeah. But at least I know what's in it, you know? Right, 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 right. So yeah. that's what I tell my husband. I'm like, I would prefer not to butcher any animals, but if I have to feed my kids clean meat and you're not going to do it, then that's what I got to do. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, interesting. Good for you. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so I wanted to talk about one final thing, which sure. was um, a book recommendation called Daring Greatly, How the yeah. Courage to be Vulnerable Transforms the Way We Live, Love, Parent, and Lead. Yes. So I'm not done reading the book yet, but it is, it was recommended to me, um, by a friend and it's all, she recommended it to me just because of the conversations and stuff that we were having about me wanting to do more with my business. But I mean, over all these years and everything I've done with my business, my husband's always been like my cheerleader, pushing me, pushing me. And I'm like, no, you know, people really won't care about that. They don't really care about that. You know, like I'm always like doubting myself and he's just like, you're amazing. Go for it. You're amazing. Go for it. You know? And so it's this idea of like not waiting for everything to be perfect or exactly how you want it before you start taking risks and just putting yourself out there. And I think it really resonates with me with this whole thing of YouTube, because to be on YouTube, I don't know if you've experienced this before, like you have to have really thick skin. Yeah. Cause the comments, Oh my God, the trolls, they're everywhere. That's what they're called trolls. And so when I went to that creator's camp, that YouTube thing that we want, everybody was talking about trolls and I'm sitting there like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't get any negative comments. Uh-huh. People love my stuff, you know, uh-huh. because I wasn't that big, but the more popular you get, uh, the more ridiculous they get. And so there's really like some hurtful things that people say on there and it makes you be like, well, damn, maybe I should have put nothing up here, you know, but it's this, this constant struggle of going back and forth and being vulnerable and putting yourself out there, especially with me at this point of having like my whole lifestyle brand. You know, I share everything with people, my kids, my lifestyle. It's like, oh, I butchered chickens or the people that are vegetarians going to hate me, you know? Right. And so I'm working towards just getting over it <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because I've always been like a people pleaser. 
and I always want to make everybody happy. And now at 31 is when I'm finally like, yeah, you, you can't make everybody happy. You right. need to just do what you do. And the people that love it, love it. And the ones that don't, oh, well. Is there a particular YouTube comment that sticks with you <clears throat> as being especially hurtful? Oh, God, yes. Yeah. I don't, I'm not going to say the words here, but I'll give you the gist of it. It was on my how to make soap from scratch tutorial. Okay. And somebody wrote, how ironic, a N-word making soap. Everyone knows N-words don't take baths. Wow. Okay. And that, and I told my husband, and he was just like, so what? Delete it. Like, it was like nothing for him. And I'm like, what do you mean? Just, it's like nothing. He's like, who cares? Who is that person? Like, they're nobody to you, you know? And to me, that was like a turning point. Like, well, if this is the kind of stuff I'm going to get going forward, it's either going to hold me back or I can just delete it, you know? Yeah. But seriously? Wow. Come on. That's incredibly terrible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you really The worst do. ones are usually that. Or they're usually like racist stuff. Like, yeah. oh, a Mexican doing this. You know, like right. just stupid stuff. I'm like, right. whatever. Yeah. And you do. You have to make that decision. Like, what yeah. am I going to do with this? It's hard. But yeah. I mean, for all the dozens of emails I get every day of like how right. I've helped people do totally. this or like, st- I get a lot of emails from uh, work at home moms whose husbands are in the military and they're gone. And so they're trying to find something to pass the time. They end up coming across my videos. They l- say they buy my pattern for a pillowcase dress. And then they're like, oh my gosh, I took my little girl to church wearing this dress. And now everybody's putting in orders. Now I have an Etsy shop. And so I'm like, I tell my husband, I'm like, I create jobs. Right. I create jobs. I'm helping these people bring money into their household, right. helping them pass the time doing something they love, making something cute and functional for their kids, and making a little business from a $3 pattern that they bought from me. Like, come on. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and all the positives so outweigh yes. those negatives. So when you go places, like you go out, you go to Joanne's where uh-huh. you know your people are yeah. um, out there shopping and stuff. Do people recognize you? Because it's different yeah. from being a blogger. You mm-hmm. are live on camera. <laughs> people see you and watch you, and some people watch you every week. So yeah. do people recognize you? They do. And a lot of, I've been recognized a lot locally here by men. Um, either they recognize me or my kids. Like if I'm not talking, that's usually what I find. Like whenever I'm at an event or function or something and I'm talking to somebody else, people will do a double take and they stop and they're like, I know your voice. Do I know you from somewhere? And they know my voice, you know? So I'm like crafty Gemini. They're like, oh my God, I love your video. You know, like I know that voice. People will tell me that all the time. Like, I know your voice. You're crafty Gemini, right? Yeah. And so they stop me. Or if somebody sees my kids, they'll do a double take. Like I had one guy, he was like a 60 year old guy. And he was like, I know those kids. Hey, you're the crafty Gemini. Ah. He's like that his wife and him made like, um, civil war, uh, reenactment outfits or something. So he said he's learned some kind of like sewing things that he's come across my videos. I was like, awesome. We were one time a couple years ago at a play date or like a birthday party. My friend had, a, uh, my son's friends, a third birthday or whatever. And there was this guy like 30 something full of tattoos, super huge muscular guy. He's like, Hey, you're the crafty Gemini. You taught me how to sew. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. I need to call my husband. So I call my husband. I'm like, I'm famous. This random guy right here learned to sew from my tutorial. So it was awesome. That He's like calling awesome. his wife over like, hey, babe, this is a crafty Gemini. <laughs> <laughs> so when guys stop me, I love it. I think it's just easier for them because they're not as shy. Maybe they're just like, hey, cool. I know you. You know, because if they're like confident in sewing, they're just like, who cares? I'll tell you. You're the one that taught me. But right. women, I feel like they'll just stare at me. Uh-huh. And they're just like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to say. <laughs> and they just stare and stare. One lady was like blocking me in the supermarket. I'm like, hi, can I get through? And I'm like, why are you just standing there? And then she was like, oh my gosh, are you the crafty Gemini? And I was like, oh, hi, yes, I am. <laughs> I'm like, can you move, please? Because I have to buy groceries too. <laughs> but it's fun. It's fun. I love it because it's just me with a camera. 
posting videos. You know, it's me by myself, really. And so as famous as people want to see me and as, as popular they think I am and like, it looks like I get out much, I guess. I don't know, but it's just me on a farm with a camera, you know? So I see that people are watching them because obviously I see the numbers and I see the comments, but I don't know the individual people. Like I don't put actual bodies and faces to these numbers. So when I do go somewhere, I tell people, I'm like, please stop me. If you see me, say hi. I want to meet real people. <laughs> well, Vanessa, it's really been great talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on the Walshy Naps podcast. No problem. Thanks for having me, Abby. You've been listening to the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg, and I invite you to visit my blog, walshynaps.com, where you'll find helpful information for creative entrepreneurs, as well as tutorials and patterns for making stuffed animals and dolls. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.